Hello, welcome back to the Call Me Mr. Podcast. The topic for today's podcast is Black History Month. Uh, so my name is Javier Martinez. I am the program coordinator for the Call Me Mr. program. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and let all the other guys introduce themselves. So, Aishan, do you want to go ahead and go first? Uh, hi, uh, my name is Aishan Shockley. I'm the director of public relations for Call Me Mr. Hey, everyone. Uh, my name is, is Sebastian Torres. I'm a junior studying secondary ed here at K-State. Hey, y'all. Um, I'm Michael McPhee, Jr. Uh, I'm a physical education major, and um, I'm a Call Me Mr. member. Perfect. Awesome. Um, so with Black History Month, so every year Black History Month has a different theme to it. Uh, so I know this year, and I actually just learned this, the theme for Black History Month for 2022 is Black Health and Wellness. Um, so as far as that goes, I mean, what do you guys think? I guess, what do you guys think about that theme? I mean, are there any things that come to mind as far as like health and wellness at all or any specific things that just like jump right out at you? Whenever I'm thinking about it, the main thing that always goes into my mind is like how uh, like both collegiate and high school students like tend to like shy away from programs that help um, with like mental illness, help with that mental wellness, mm -hmm. um, things like um, like therapy services, because I know that um, K-State offers um, at least a couple free um, times of therapy services. Mm -hmm. And it like, it, I've always like had this stigma against it. And like, that's what it really like gets to me, like basically going in and being like, this isn't, this isn't bad. Like being able to like fortify yourself mentally mm -hmm. and being able to like, I don't know, deal with like things in order to grow. Right. That's usually whenever, that's what comes to my mind. Okay. Yeah, I'd say I'd say just the therapy side too. I think, and I know we've we've talked about it like with uh, like Ricky had mentioned it before when he was still a Mister, like that negative stigma on, you know, like oh if if you let someone know like, um, like I'm going to get help, I'm going to therapy. People are always like like oh I'm so sorry for you, and you know you you don't want that. Um, but what we should be doing is whenever you know you're going to therapy, you're going to get help. They should be like, dude, that's awesome. You're getting, you're getting right. You're getting your mind right, you know? Um, as far as, like, the stigma, the negativity, or the neg negative stigma for mental health, it's, um, it's like a nonstop, like, an overgrowing cloud over African-American head, especially in the um, African-American community. It's because when, um, when you're raised, uh, I can say as far as, like, for South Florida, as you're raised, you're kind of like molded into either being an athlete or being someone that's like, you know, particularly good in a trade. So as far as getting help for like your mental illnesses or like your mental disorders, it's kind of like shy or looked down upon because um, pretty much like you're taught to either hide it or deal with it in another way. You're never taught to go seek help from a therapist or a doctor or like anybody because now you're looked at as somebody that has problems so like you were saying it's um kind of portrayed as like you're the person with you know some type of like you're the outcast because mm -hmm. you went to go get help and like now you're looked at as a weak man in the community so that's 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 how i feel about 
mental health illnesses and so how I, I it's know, affecting the black community. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot of you guys have mentioned the mental health. So do you think that things have gotten better as far as those who do seek mental health? Or do you think it's kind of the same or has it gotten worse? What do you, what do you guys think? I believe that in at least the past like two years, there's been a lot of like destigmatization over um, mental health and going over. And like, there's a lot of people that are a lot more open about um, their mental health struggles. Like, I mean, if you think about it, um, going on to TikTok, there's a whole entire like sub like sub packet, sub genre in it. That's like, they call it like mental health talk, where basically people talk about like the difficulties that they're experiencing. And it's basically a lot of people like giving affirmations, giving resources. It's a, it's a lot more like the conversation has expanded so much more, um, especially within the black community where a lot of things are um, very pressing in on all sides. It's, it's very, it's a very much more open conversation and it's a very, it's done wonders towards accepting of mental health services. I think, I think it's, I agree with Aishan. I think it's gotten better. I don't know about like a whole lot better, but definitely people have become, in my opinion, more open to it. Um, however, I, I do think there's like, anytime I go on social media um, and people are like dogging on mental health, I feel like they always say um, like, oh, you know, like paying like how many hundreds of, of dollars for, for therapy or for like help. And then you got, or just saying it is what it is mm. and that's it's 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 i don't know it's it's such like a hard thing because i mean yeah you could just say like it is what it is but that's not i don't know if that's really gonna help i mean you just kind of like brush away all the problems yeah very much like putting it inside of a bottle like just yeah. putting it in a bottle and like the bottle's gonna break like yeah it, the, it's gonna they, break they don't sometime. go away yeah. Don't go away. You're just like, oh, I'll, I'll deal with it later, you know? Um, As far as, like, it getting better, uh, I say that it's slow progression. It's a slow progression rate um, for as far as getting better because of, like, this is something that's, like, instilled inside the Black community. Like, a mindset is hard to change. Uh, um, A habit is hard to change. Once you do something for so long, you're raised on it. It's, it's so hard to, like, look at it or look at something a different way so i wouldn't say like it's been like a monumental step yet but as far as like social media and you know like doctor notes and you know doctor visits therapy visits it's been like the awareness has been like that's been the most you know progression or most change in mental health and mental healthness no, yeah, I, I definitely agree. Mm-hmm. I also think, like, yeah, touching upon that awareness, it's it's also helped that, like, athletes are making it, like, a bigger thing, too. I know, yeah. uh, like, Naomi Osaka, um, Simone Biles is just a couple names. Like, you know, they they stepped out. They stepped down from, like, big competition because they were like, hey, my mental health isn't right, and I want to I put me first. Like, that comes mm-hmm. number one, you know? Yeah, like, um... Athletes like Calvin Ridley from um, yeah. Atlanta Falcons, yeah, it's it, the the awareness has definitely been like put on the spotlight for um, taking time for me to improve me mentally. Mm-hmm. I feel like putting your mental health first should be like should be something that's that's uh, prioritized, especially in 
either relationships, business, mm-hmm. or um, like jobs, anything that's um related to you. Because yeah. you can't be the best you if your mental health is, you know, piss poor. So mm-hmm. especially, go ahead. Uh, I was gonna um have um go into a little bit of a tangent off of um towards um um professional athletes and their um basically talking about their mental health because that is like I am actually extremely like proud of the, of how far we've come in terms of athletes being able to do that without being like shot down or being told like oh my god you're literally the best in the world like why are you suffering from depression things like that basically and like it does so much wonders towards um, the black community. I, I personally feel just because like athletes are in a sense idolized because of the um, of how much of a, of a change it can uh, it can bring from a person. It can get them out of like um, get them out of a really bad like um, situation. It's, it's it can it's seen as um, athletes, sorry, being a professional athlete is a dream for for a lot of um, a lot of African Americans because we have this skill set. We have we have the drive. Like it's a great way to in order to bring about change, either for your immediate community or just for yourself. Like and being able to see that like these strong athletes, they they do deal with the exact same things that like I deal with on a, on a, on the same basis, like on with mental health. Like it's very good. It allows me to. Uh, what is it under like connect with them a lot more and like it does like make maybe like a dream from even me in professional sports like a little bit more achievable yeah i i think that relatability really helps because like you said too often like we we definitely idolize them and it's like okay like they did it like they made it out they've they've gone through all these struggles and you know, now they got all this money and a lot of time, like the public perceives like, you know, oh, hey, they got money. Boom. All their problems are gone. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's gone. They're going away. But I mean, just because you have money doesn't mean like you're, you're happy necessarily. Like happiness doesn't come from all that materialistic stuff necessarily. There's not, there's not a correlation between those two. Yeah, no, well, most definitely. Um, but looking back at the, uh, the health and wellness a little bit, I mean, we talked a little bit about the mental health, but as far as the physical health goes, uh, and I'm looking at Mike here, because I know, Mike, you, you, were, you do a lot of personal training, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, so as far as, like, physical health goes, um, do you think that schools really emphasize physical health among their students? And this is, like, a, kind of could be like a controversial topic here, but do you think that they do prioritize that, or is that something they kind of put in the, in the back burner a little bit? Um. Something I'd say about that is, is sadly they, they don't, especially in um when we need it the most in our elementary school kids, it, it's it's not prioritized. They have a but um like 30, 45 minutes for physical education. And then if that because of um when big tests such as like the FCAT, I know we had it was called FCAT in Florida. So um something like the FCAT or you know, like the SAT or something like that like that it was uh when the standardized test came about i know a lot of us was like ready to go to pe and the teacher was like oh we need to study on math we need to study our reading we need to study this and study that or when you didn't do your homework or somebody in class didn't do the homework now we get punished and the first thing they do is they take away recess 
or to take away your pee time. So, so for that to be um, prioritized, I think is a is a big deal. Um, physical education needs to be like front foremost of um, the foundation of a, a student learning. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of piggyback back it off what Mike said. Um, I will tell you guys that some of the research that I've read is that a lot of schools, there's some schools that, like Mike said, that aren't prioritizing, you know, PE or recess. Um, and even now to the point where you have maybe like 15, 20 minutes at most that kids get of, you know, physical education in some way. Um, so I, I think that kind of has a correlation to both mental health and physical health as well. Um, because again, if you're just stuck in a classroom for like hours out of day, just studying, you know, doing homework that can't be good for your mental health i mean at least in my opinion um but what are your guys thoughts on that and i totally agree me writing papers for <laughs> even right now for my uh for my degree i'm just like i'm stuck inside um the library for like five hours at a time and like it's really like especially like in a place like the the basement like doesn't really have that many like windows mm-hmm. and so like natural light con- like obviously boosts mood but like I guess to the point I'm just like I want to leave I don't want to be here like it's it's very much like um I mean I think that a traditional school setting isn't particularly good for like a mental and physical health Mm -hmm. no I agree like going outside and like getting some sunlight or just getting getting some you know being active getting some sort of movement in is always I think helpful to students I know like I know me personally anytime I've like been studying or doing homework or I've had classes all day um, or I'm like locked in here doing whole ton of homework, you know, <laughs> it just, the rec has been like my best friend. Like, let me just run over to the rec. It's free, you know, since you're a student and let me either work out or maybe just shoot, you know, get some, get some shots up. Um, but I don't know. It just, just kind of helps like clear your mind. And it's not like, it's not something you got to think about it's like i'm just doing this you know Mm -hmm. it's there's no hesitation you know right yeah and it's for like especially our kids like when you're sitting down in a room just looking at the same math problems for three four hours then you go to lunch you eat for like 20 30 minutes and then you come back to that same classroom and you're studying it's some our kids need to get that to exert that energy out and um it's yeah. studies actually show when you're when you partake in physical activities or like as a school organizations that you actually do better on tests as opposed to kids who focus more on reading and writing and um you know our stem courses like uh science uh technology all that stuff so by having our kids not be on partaking recess and, and PE, it's actually hurting our, our youth. I think I think recess also helps like kind of give the kids like a second wind, if that makes sense. You know, like yeah. uh, they, they come to school in the morning, they're they might be ready to learn, they might not. As teachers, that's our job. You know, we kind of got to get them excited. You got to get your kids excited and, and interested to learn. And then, you know, they go to recess, because after those four hours, they start to, you know, just, uh, you know, and, you know, they go outside, they get some sunlight, they get the energy out and, you know, 
it gets them in a better mood again. So that way they can come in and you can, you, then you can get right back to the second half of the day. Like I like physical, physical movement. is so important towards like regaining attention just because like, I, like it gives like adrenaline. It gets you like, I know that in, I, in well, sometimes in my hour classes, like since, I mean, some of my classes are kind of boring uh, and I nearly fell asleep, <laughs> but like, the teacher, she's just like, okay, so we need to take a little bit of break. Let's take five minutes. Let's all stretch. Maybe let's um, walk over to the, like jog over to the other side of the room and back, make sure to touch both walls. Like I, I come back and I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm not sleepy anymore. Like, yeah. okay, let's, let's talk about, let's talk about um, themes, talk about symbolism. Let's, let's, let's go. Like I'm ready. Like yeah, exactly. it doesn't even have to be going out in recess and spending 35, like 35 minutes playing around in the playground, just something that promotes like kinetic movement, mm -hmm. something that like, yeah, it, cause at any little bit helps like, and it, and it can get you reinvigorated and like more willing to just learn. Yeah. Um, so with all you guys hopefully being future teachers or educators or instructors in some way in the future, um, what are some ways that you would want to make a classroom kind of like just more active, or like more engaging for your students where they don't feel burnt out? They don't feel like, you know, their mental health is just draining. What are some things that you would love to do in the future for your, your classrooms? I think like similar to what Aishan said, because um, I know a lot of kids in math just kind of like go numb at one point you know like Michael said you look you look at a problem so many times you can't understand it and at that point you've already given up you know the kid is like they don't want to they don't want to learn they're just stuck you know um I had I had a math teacher who used to have us like like okay everybody like put down everything you're doing and he's like just jump around for a little bit just jump around you know just just get get the blood blood flow going and uh, I think like stuff like that, really just small things like, like, um, like either just jumping around or a hey, walk, walk to that wall and back, um, do jumping jacks. I don't know, 30 second dance party. Let's do it. I'll throw on music, you know, okay. just something fun mm -hmm. and gets some sort of exercise and movement incorporated into the, into the classroom. A 30 second dance party is so smart. <laughs> <laughs> because like you can even be like hey you guys can choose a song i mean make a school appropriate like exactly you know, exactly. we don't want any like cupcake like let's we can, do, we can have like, <laughs> we can have like we can have doja cat we can have like um i don't know sam smith we can just have like yeah you guys pick yeah. pick a song let's just go and like dance along to it yeah <laughs> hula hoop yeah um uh, Hula, oh, hula hoop. That would be fun, but also dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> I would take an eye out. Um, Let them boys play dodgeball. Oh, God. Oh, God. Dodgeball. <laughs> dodgeball was, was my game, though, back in the day. I, I love playing dodgeball. Whenever we had PE, I had to play dodgeball. <laughs> Always excited. Most fun I've ever had in PE. <laughs> you you do look like you've hit people in the face. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> It'd be like, oh, I didn't mean to. <laughs> I'm sorry. Are you Are you okay? <laughs> um, and, uh, and and thinking about um and getting um kids in order to be able to uh grow in their um sense of like calisthenic movement or things i also um for me as an english major i, feel, I find this probably a lot easier to do 
but I want to like stimulate them mentally. Cause I mean, even if you do like jumping jacks, maybe for like 20 seconds, like there is still a chance that at least for some kids, they, that's not like their way in order to yeah. get back into a conversation. So that's why um, we've been doing something in my um, middle school methods class where um, my teacher puts on some like some piano music and then we can just jot down something on in our in like a journal. We like we take a journal and it can be about anything. It can be anything, any length. Um, you could even write nothing at all. Like um, she always says, you can even say, you can just keep on writing. I can't, I can't, I don't know what to write. I don't know what to write. I don't know what to write over and over and over. But like, it gives kids the chance to be able to like either get anything they need out onto the page or just like be able to stimulate them to think about like, I create short stories. I create poems in my time. And like, I relate it to my experience. Um, it, I relate it to like, like mental health, I, I, and it's a lot, it's very liberating, I feel. It's super nice, and, I, and I've made some really, really nice, nice poems. Like, <laughs> I'm, about to, I'm about to put it all in a book, and I'm about to publish it. Like, there, you go, there you go. And like, you don't even have to share it with the teacher. That's probably like even the best part. Like, you can keep it yeah. just for yourself. I, don't, I just, I found that to be amazing, and I'm definitely going to be um, stealing that from her. <laughs> No, that's that's an awesome tactic. I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that. Wait, I'm gonna steal it with you. I think because, like you said, I mean, kids. Not not every kid is the same. You know, jumping jacks might work for others. You know, writing stuff down in a journal might work for others. You know, I think, I think as educators, we got to offer like a plethora. Love that word of uh, just just different different choices. You know, um, and then you know, be able to, to recognize what our, what helps our students. Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe John over there, uh, he's, whenever he does jumping jacks, he gets more engaged and he's, he's back into it. But maybe Timmy over there is, you know, he's not that active. He's like, I'd rather just write stuff down and giving the students like the choice, you know, and being flexible and just being creative with all these ideas. Yeah, and um, as far as like a, a physical education standpoint, it, it's kind of hard to um, kind of implement all your students to see the same perspective you want them to see. So our focus would be like, you know, how can we get our kids to understand that physical exercise is important for you, how it benefits you in the long run. So how do we get all the kids to want to, to like see PE as something fun to do? Because mm -hmm. you have your kids who, who want to play dodgeball, Yep. And then you have the girls in the corner who's like, I don't want to get hit by a ball. Yeah. I don't mm -hmm. want to throw the ball. I don't want nothing to do with that with dodgeball. So it's finding games and finding like finding as long as finding something that, that makes them feel comfortable. So whether it's walking around the court or you know, walking around the track, jogging around the track, whatever, just keeping everybody physically active is mm -hmm. something I want to um take to my classroom. Or to my uh, wherever I go. Yep, no, most definitely. Um, one question that I wanted to kind of address, and it kind of goes back to the presentation that I made last week during our our group meeting, was the high dropout rates among African American students. And I'm trying to look back here. I think that the percentage was about six percent, or maybe a little bit over six percent. Mm -hmm. Um. But one of the factors that really contributes to the high dropout rates is the lack of support that many African-American students um, 
perceive their teachers to have for them. So they may not feel supported by their teachers or by the faculty and staff. Um, so I think that's one question that, again, I don't know the answer to that, but it's a great way to have conversation is, what are some ways that you can show your students that you support them? I that's think, a tough question. It, it is. Um, I think, go ahead, Michael, kinda, you got it. It's, it's kind of like, it's no like one answer to, to the reason for the dropout rates, but a couple of them could be like, not only the support system is weak, but school isn't something too particularly prioritized in the black community. So, you know, school is cool. You go, you know, you get to get your degree for your mom or for your dad, whoever's raising you, probably a single parent home. So you go to and get your degree. That's like in the back of your mind though. But in front, foremost of your mind is how can I stay, you know, financially stable to support mm -hmm. the single parent household or support my auntie who's raising me alone or my grandma or, you know, my dad, somebody like, you know, you always think about how can I get the money the fastest? That's what I feel like is the most, it's like, it's a plus and a negative for the black community. So the, the mindset of needing to get money and wanting to get money is, it's kind of like misconstrued. So I feel like something that, that, that we could do in our classrooms to make um, our kids feel supported is having that one-on-one -on -one connection with them. So setting up like one-on-one -on -one meetings, not just like parent-teacher meetings, I'm talking about like real one-on-one -on -one meetings during classes or like after classes, setting up like organizations where people want to actually be talked come and uh you know participate in whether you're an athlete or a regular student doesn't really matter just setting that that one-on-one -on -one connection with the student probably would like show them that you really care or that you really want them to succeed mm -hmm. i think i think bouncing off off michael's ideas a little bit um i think definitely like the lack of support plays in quite a bit um i mean most of, I mean, the majority of teachers uh, in the U.S. are are predominantly white, and not that not that that's a bad thing. It's just you know we've talked about it many times before. Um, you you're able to resonate, you know, with someone when when you know you know like hey I, they came from the same background as me, you know they they have faced the hardships or similar hardships that I have. And, you know, so they know what I'm, you, they know what I'm going through and being able to have someone that that's, that's relatable. And I don't know, it, it makes it a lot more easier to, or ineffective, you know, to build that connection. That connection is going to be way more crucial than let's say, so in, in my, in my small town, so I went to a 1A and I had, I had all white teachers. They weren't bad teachers. It was just like, they don't know what I'm going through, you know? But I think I maybe had one, one Hispanic teacher and um, he didn't really like, he didn't really talk to me about that kind of stuff, which, which is cool. I mean, it's his, it's all up to him at the end of the day. But I mean, if he wanted to, the connection is just there easier. You know, he knows what I went through. I know what he went through, you know, at least somewhat not, specific context but 
roughly the same. <laughs> so uh, I went to a bigger school in high school. I went to a 7A. So for teachers to like set across one-on-one meetings, it's going to be kind of hard. But it's about the dedication at the end of the day. Do you want your kids to succeed or not? So how bad do you yeah. want it for your kids? It kind of plays a part in it. And um, you would have to actually set a set aside classroom time to meet with all these kids because uh, the seven is a pretty big school. So you have at least like 30, 30 kids in the classroom for each period. So it's like you you literally have to set aside classroom time. You can't yeah. just run through the curriculum all like all day, every day. Because it, it's at, at some point it kind of gets like redundant. It kind of gets old. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's like you know, every I've I been in school for 10 plus years now and we're doing the same thing. We're still learning about variables and stuff that I'll never use tomorrow, <laughs> the day after that, years after that. And it's like, so it starts to get kind of like, what are my priorities as a student or as mm-hmm. a kid growing up in a, a terrible neighborhood, a good neighborhood, doesn't really matter. What is my priority? So do I need this? Or do I want to stay? Do I want to continue to do this? You know, start seeing things like that. So setting aside classroom time probably would be the best option. Um, aside from or you know, outside help for for students. I find that very interesting because like I never thought about that. Like inputting more of like a social aspect, I feel. Um, is what you're saying into uh, a classroom instead of just just focusing on like content because like social skills is something that's like always needed in mm-hmm. in real in real mm-hmm. life maybe even more than you know quadratic formulas or <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exponents you know mm-hmm. PEMDAS like Definitely. <laughs> maybe <it's, laughs> maybe spending just a little bit of time like and like maybe like. 15 minutes every week, like just being like, maybe just setting up like a discussion about like, um, you could say, I don't know, to be honest, <laughs> just um, maybe just having like everybody go around and then talk about something about themselves or just like, just doing something in order to bring about like social interactions, just because like, I know whenever I was in high school, I had absolutely no social skills. Like, I thought the books in my library were my, my best friends. Like I did not <laughs> speak. <laughs> and I, I really do feel like having like some, a social, like I would say maybe like a social safety net, like something sort of like means I could fall back, like fall, but like not like crash on the ground if I tried mm-hmm. in a social conversation, mm-hmm. like something to help me improve my social skills would have been like really helpful, especially in the real world, where like I have to actually talk to people. <laughs> like, <laughs> No, yeah, I, I think that for me, uh, with the end goal, hopefully, of, you know, being a, a professor at a university would be to kind of empathize with students. Um, and I think that Mike kind of touched a little bit on this about how every student has something going on, you know, back at whether it's back at home, maybe in their personal life. So I don't want to be the teacher, or the instructor is like, hey, this is the due date, turn it in today or you get a zero. Like, I don't want to do that. I, I think that's just like the worst thing you can do. Because then you, I guess you have the mentality of that every student can and should be able to do these tasks and turn them in at this certain time. Um, so one thing that I've learned, you know, throughout all the years that I've been working with students is that, again, 
everybody's dealing with something, you know? So I think that being able to empathize with students and say, hey, like, you know, if they, if they either stop showing up to class or they stop, you know, turning in homework, you know, like Mike said, have that one-on-one with them. Say, hey, what's, what's going on? You know, like, uh, how can I help you? Like, what's, what's, uh, what's, like, what's up? Like, what's going on? Um, so I think that being able to empathize with students is one good way to um, just kind of help ease the, the stress that they have with school. Uh, because again, um, I think that that's one thing that a lot of teachers are lacking, that, that lack of empathy with, with students. Because again, if you can't empathize with your student, then you're, they're not going to succeed. No matter what you do, no matter how hard you teach, they're not going to succeed if you don't empathize with them and show them that you actually do care and you actually do have, do want to have a supportive environment for them. Um, but that's just one thing that I hope to do in the future in my classroom is just be able to empathize with my students and be aware, you know, be aware of what's going on in the classroom. Um, but I mean, like I Sean said, I mean, it's, it's kind of tough because yeah, you want to have these one-on-ones with them, but time-wise, it's just so tough, right? Um, so when you guys were talking about it, one thing that crossed my mind was, I don't know, like maybe like just having them write in a piece of paper, like, hey, what's something that stresses you out this week? Not, not even write their name on there, just like write something down and then just turn it in. And then me reading that and saying, okay, like, you know, there's like a big group of people that are stressed out about ho- the homework assignment. So, hey, let's, let me ease that, that stress for them. You know what I mean? Because if you just ask the class, hey, who's stressed out about this? It's kind of tough for you to raise your hand and be like, oh, I am, because like nobody wants yeah. to do that, right? Yeah. Um, like you don't want to yeah. single anybody out. So I don't know. I mean, maybe that's one thing that we can do is just like maybe have them write, you know, one thing that's stressing them out on a piece of paper and then just turn it in at the end of class and then me just reading that and saying, okay, like you have a good amount of people who are just feeling real stress right now. So what can I do in my power to kind of just ease that stress? And I, I, I don't know, that's just kind of an idea that I had. Um, but again, there's no yeah, and real as teachers and, and professors and as teachers and professors, you got to like kind of ask yourself like a real question. Like, is this homework? Like, do, do they need this homework? Mm-hmm. You know, like, is this meaningful work that I'm giving or is it just busy work that mm-hmm. I, I need to, like, fit in a grade? So that, that plays a, a big part in that, too, as, as well as, like, stress relieving. Like, if it's homework that you need to give, like, an assignment that's going to be on the exam, that you feel like they need to have the grasp of, mm-hmm. then you can you can give that work, but not at an over, like, a overkill workload, you know? It's, like, mm-hmm. it's different levels to giving out different assignment for understanding yeah no, I, t- I totally agree because again um if the homework you give somebody makes them stay up to like two or three in the morning then w- what does that do for anybody you know it's at that point they're just doing it just to do it they're not learning anything mm-hmm. from it it's just one causing them stress and two it's keeping them up at night and that's the last thing you want to do right yeah um but yeah, I think that that's a lot of good points as far as how to create a more kind of supportive environment for your students. Um, a- any other thoughts on that? Um, I know this is very like specific to my major in, in mm-hmm. itself, but um, I know that there is, um, in literature, since I'm an English major, <laughs> mm-hmm. there's uh, not a lot of um, curriculum and literature in schools that um that feature uh, minority authors or minor- minority main characters. Mm, mm-hmm. And it really does like affect uh, a student's like a student's mindset. Cause I know that whenever I was, whenever I was little, whenever I always thought of a main character um, in a story, it automatically defaulted to like um, 
brown hair, white, blue eyes, yep. you know, yeah, it's, it's very, it was very much defaulted in my mind. And it, and it wasn't until like college that I was just like, oh, you know, there's, pla there's a place for me in literature. Like there's a place for, for a brown, you know, slightly, slightly spotty <laughs> uh, African-American in, in, in literature. Like I think um, I saw a, re um, a research article that said like maybe like 22% of all um, children's literature books were from um, P um, POC, which is like okay. insane. Cause like, there's like what, 30% of um, school consists of, um, consist of um, underrepresented communities, something around that. Mm -hmm. It's, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, to, to, to kind of go off that, I mean, uh, and I'm looking at Sebastian's screen now because I, I know the guys, the people hearing this can't see it, but you have a bunch of you know, superhero posters in the background, right? Um, so one thing that I was having a conversation with with a friend about was that being a big nerd, uh, you know, when you look at the MCU, like superhero movies, there's not a lot of representation, you know, as far as, you know, m minority characters, as, as far as like lead roles, right? Um, yeah. So especially like in phase one, I mean, like you see like, you know, like the Hulk, you see like, you know, Black Widow, you see yeah. like all these other characters, right? But more than likely, they're not, you know, POCs, right? So I think that kind of just shows you a little bit how the media also plays a role in that too. Um, you know, just showing you, hey, this is the ideal standard, uh, which I think that hopefully things are get, getting better now, now that you're some more characters, you know, into the universe too. So I don't know, this is one thing that kind of just popped into my head when you were talking about Sean about the representation too. So that's just one thing that popped into my head. That's why um, Black Panther was such like a big hit yes. because it, like it was an all like a near all African American cast. Yep, and like I mean there was still and, problems and with of, it. Sorry, and, there was still problems with it. Sorry, you go, you go. Superheroes <laughs> <laughs> are actually like, in the comics from from color from people of color. So. Mm -hmm. That's another thing that's like affects our generation as well. And it's kind of like swept under the rug when we see them on TV as, you know, as Caucasians or, you know, as a, a different race. And we're like, that, that, that's not, that's not, that's not right. You know, he, he's definitely supposed to be, yeah, he's definitely supposed to be another color. <laughs> Do any of you have a Disney Plus by chance? Or like have seen like the, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier TV series? Yeah. Yep. Nah. Um, th there's an iconic line on there that, I think that um, I think it's Falcon talking to somebody, talking to one of the, the 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 veterans, saying that we aren't meant to be the main hero or like the main superhero, right? And it's kind of like the whole like uh, the whole purpose of the show is to kind of just help him transition to the role and accept that hey, you are worthy to hold the shield, you are worthy, you know, to be the hero. Um, so I think that's kind of amazing the fact that they've actually actually you know showed that representation and show that hey. Uh, regardless of who you are, like you are worthy to be Captain America. Yeah. Right. Um, so yes, yeah, so, I mean, I definitely recommend watching that. Watching that. If you guys ever have Disney Plus or ever you know have access to Disney Plus, watch that show. Definitely. Top it's notch. really, it's really good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that again, like you said, representation is, is key, whether it be in you know the literature, the media, and especially in the classroom too. Because again, if you don't have a teacher that you know you can uh, empathize with or you know just kind of see yourself in uh, it's kind of hard for you to even be engaged in what's going on in the classroom right um, but yeah representation is definitely a key factor for sure uh, 
we, we got 10 minutes here, but before we, we end the podcast here, I want to just go back to a trip that we did last semester with the Brown versus board. Um, what were some of your thoughts on that? Cause I know we kind of briefly talked about it during our group meetings, but we did, didn't really like go in depth with it. Uh, what were some of your thoughts or key takeaways from the Brown versus board trip that we did? I think, I, I think, say, uh, uh, you got it. You got it. Yeah. And I, I, I've been going, go ahead, man. No, okay. All right. <laughs> um, just looking back, I think like it's, it's cool to realize, uh, it, it makes you realize like, like, yeah, we've, we've come a ways from that, but it's still, I feel like not that different. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Like, mm -hmm. obviously, <laughs> Like obviously schools are schools are integrated, um, you know. There's not that separation anymore, but you do still see. I think like there's there's just differences. Um, I I think like just certain teachers aren't necessarily patient with with people of color all that much sometimes, and and I don't know what what the reasoning is behind it, but there's there's still that that gap between uh, the majority and then, you know, minorities. I think, I think like every, every day we're, we're making a good step towards it, or at least we're trying to. And this organization is a good step towards that because, you mm -hmm. know, we need representation in the classrooms. But I think, I think we still got a long ways to go. I think that like a big reason is as to why like, it's not like really clicking yet. Cause like Brown versus Board, it happened in like 1954. Mm -hmm. Like that was what around like seventy years ago. I'm terrible at math. <laughs> about seventy years, oh, no, yeah, yeah, almost seventy, yeah, almost. So like, the people that are alive then, like, I mean, there's still a chance that they're still alive now, or um, the values that they had at that time, like, are um, at least semi ingrained into the generation after them. Like, so I can see why it is. It's it still is um, a fight for um, for people of color, and it won't. It'll continue to uh it'll continue to be a fight for at least a, a little bit sorry i just saw my internet connection it was unstable <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it, it definitely i definitely agree with uh, with, with both y'all um it, it really wasn't that far back um and the practices that was instilled into the generation that was in Brown versus Board at the time of 19, um, when it was 1970s, 1950s. It definitely still is and getting into the past generation, I mean, next generation. So I feel like the trip was really good. It was a really good trip. And um, yeah. as, a like, as a future educator or future, you really should take the trip for boy education. It's a humbling experience. How far we come, how far we go. That's what I would say about the trip. Mm -hmm. I mean, we definitely come a long way from 1954. I definitely. Agree oh, most with definitely. That. Oh yeah. <laughs> and thank God. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was just for me. It's crazy to think about. You know, the videos watching. You know how how these little kids are treated by not only other students but also you know grown adults. You know what I mean? Grown men yelling yeah. at mm -hmm. little kids mm -hmm. trying to go to school. It, it's, it's ridiculous, but... And so uh, one thing that I, I talked about, I don't remember who it was, but I had said that 
had that been, you know, the current generation that we have now, do you think that, I mean, again, <laughs> pr- pr- props to, props to, to, Definitely to, the, props, yeah, to pr- props to the students who, who, you know, opened the door to, to allow, you know, the transition to have more POCs come into the classroom because again, that's just, it's just crazy to think about how, again, that wasn't that long ago, but how much has changed the school system. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think going back to what Sebastian had said, uh, yes, we've changed as far as like the physical aspect. It's like, you know, now we have more of, a, of an inclusive environment. You have, you know, uh, students from just all over, you know, from various backgrounds. But I still think that while we change the physical environment, the social and mental aspect hasn't changed that much. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and again, 70 plus years, I mean, it's, it's just wild to me to think about that. Yeah, it, it I don't I don't really know how to explain it, but having those people walk or crawl so we can walk, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it was definitely monumental to to having us into positions of teaching and positions of leading. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. Tip, tip your hat off. Tip your hats off to those, those children. Actually, like, yeah, it, it was ridiculous. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. You know, going trying to just walk to school and you get eggs thrown at you, mm-hmm. you getting dirt thrown at you, touch that, all call all type of name. You know, it was one video where a girl was walking to school and a grown man came to her and said, "I'm going to kill your parents." Like, mm-hmm. and it's like, bro, I'm just trying to go to school. Yeah, so it's, it's it's ridiculous. Like, and I feel like you know, people were put in positions to lead or position to change the world that others may not have capitalized off of. So mm-hmm. definitely uh, highest praise to those kids or, or those, those people right now. Yeah, they definitely walked so we could run. And like, mm-hmm. I, I know in the next 30 years, like we'll be, we'll be seeing a lot more change and mm-hmm. it'll be, it, it'll, it'll get us to a point where we can have um, a very different conversation about uh, the state of education, I feel. Yeah. Mm. No, yeah. I mean, just looking at everything that they did for us, it's just you, we owe it to them to continue the fight, you know, because the fight isn't over. Yeah. And we know that. We know the fight isn't over yet. Uh, we have to continue to make positive strides to create that inclusive and diverse environment, not only for our students, but our, also for the future generation coming in, uh, because we want to be those role models for them. We want to be those who open the doors and allow them to step in and to continue that fight. Uh, because like I Sean said that, you know, there's still a long way to go, but hopefully, you know, in 30 plus years, we can see more positive change in the classroom uh, and hopefully even beyond the classroom. Um, but yeah, I mean, any other thoughts or any other comments at all about, you know, Brown versus board or anything along those lines? Um, probably like a, like a closing thought. Yep. How are you saying? Um, I feel like uh, Black History Month has like definitely been something that's grown to be celebrated throughout like cultural institutions and like things like theaters, um, movies, libraries, museums, and like kind of as well as corporations such as Google and um, Target, Walmart, or like everyday things like social media. Mm-hmm. So you got Facebook, Twitter, whatever, whatever social media, Instagram. It's, it's Black History Month has definitely been something that's kind of like taken over, mm-hmm. and um, and rightfully so to be celebrated. 
for mm-hmm. like the accomplishments of African Americans. And um, I had down in my notes this uh three three black uh, African Americans I kind of wanted to to put out in the world. It's uh James McCoon Smith, the first uh African American to hold a medical degree in like mm-hmm. 1837. Mm-hmm. He was kind of like forced to go to Scotland to travel. Um, and study at the University of Gasco or Gasco. And then he uh came back to Manhattan, New York to practice medicine. And mm-hmm. then you got the second one, George Edwin Taylor, who ran for president as a member of the National Negro Liberty Party in nineteen oh four. Although he only got two thousand votes, is it was a big step mm-hmm. for African Americans at that time. Last one would be uh William Rudolph, an African, won three medals at Summer Olympics in the mm-hmm. 1960s. So kind of just said all that to say, you know, Black history kind of swept under the rug. And I'm glad that, you know, with technology and stuff like that, we presented. Because, you know, this is saying, like, if you don't remember your history, you're bound to forget it. I yep. mean, if you're, if you get, I'm just keeping all that in the, in the atmosphere. It's, it's pretty, it's good for the African-American community. Yep, definitely agree. Mm-hmm. Perfect, awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, so yeah, it looks like we just about run out of time for today. Um, awesome, well, thank you again for joining us for today's podcast and we hope to see you soon. At-